Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today, we are chatting with two very exciting voices in comedy right now, Shantira Jackson and Dwayne Perkins. Welcome to the show. Uh, So Shantira and Dwayne are Emmy and WGA nominated for their work on the Amber Ruffin show. And Shantira has also worked on Big Mouth, Saved by the Bell, and She the People. Dwayne's credits include Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Saved by the Pell, and The Break, Saved by the Bell, not the Pell, Saved by the (laughs) Bell, uh, and The Break with Michelle Wolf. And both are also performers in scripted and stand-up. Now, Shantira, do you do stand-up as well? If somebody asks, I'll do it. So she will, she's available. I've done it. I have done it and I'll do it again probably, but I don't seek it out personally myself. (laughs) Awesome. Great answer. (laughs) Well, welcome you guys. We're so happy to have you on the show. Thank Thank you you for having us. Thank you for having us. We're dressed the same. (laughs) (laughs) We are. Before we get into the interview part, let's uh, we're going to do adventures in screenwriting where we talk about our week. Lorian, how was your week? So I had such a big, big week that I did not even think about quitting being a writer this week, which was very exciting for me. Um, I am working on a whole bunch of projects. Uh, and so I'm working late into the night every night. So I'm the person who's sending emails at like 10 o'clock at night saying, you don't have to answer, but here are my thoughts on this thing. Um, I'm in development on my animation project. Uh, we're doing the animation test and it's really exciting seeing the artwork come back. And um, I'm working on a pitch in development with a partner and sort of cracking that, going back and forth and like, how about this idea? No, that was terrible. How about this idea? And sort of figuring out the sweet spot. So it's something we both love and want to actually make. Um, and then I'm working on that horror piece that I'm writing and someone emailed me and asked me can you talk about that since that's not your genre and um, I honestly get really scared when I watch uh, horror trailers so I have had to figure out how to write this so I've watched a few trailers and like sort of sat with how that feels in my body and I can only do it during the day right (laughs) once it gets dark like three o'clock by three o'clock I have to stop working on it because it's too spooky (laughs) in my office and um and I'm writing it, uh, it's safer in my head than it is to write it on, you know, to watch it. So I'm just trying to remember how it feels in my body and trying to figure out how to get that feeling with like it's jump scares and spooky music and, uh, and I'm just having fun with it. You know, it's my thematic. It's about a woman who takes down the patriarchy. It's got a world I love. So um, it's really just about having fun with it as much as I can because I I'm not experienced in the genre, so I might as well have a good time. And then I'll get notes and we'll see what they are. <laughs> um, and um, and I paid my bills this week. Oh, yeah. December so, 1st. Yeah. Actually, not all of them. I have a stack over there that I'm hiding from my husband because he's always like, did you pay the bills? So those are the ones we're not going to tell him about, but I'm going to get to them later, I hope. Um, yeah. So that was my week. 
and I, I feel exhausted and high at the same time because I was so productive and I have pages and, uh, and I got real world stuff done too. Nice. Um, so Dwayne, how was your week? Yeah, <laughs> trash, trash, doo-doo fire. Uh, no, it's been fine. Um, I'm at that period where suddenly everybody wants everything for me because it's the end of the year. And I'm just like, bitch, where were you the rest of the year? Um, <laughs> so it's, and it's strange because I feel like usually under this amount of work, I would feel stressed. But because of the year that I've had, I feel like I've gotten to a place where I'm learning how this business works. And there are certain things that like I can and cannot do. And I'm recognizing like where my power lies. Mm -hmm. And so like this week in particular, uh, I had to, I I have like a script due for a feature uh, by the 17th. But then I have two outlines for shows that I have in development due this week. So it was truly like each day I had to really figure out what project I was thinking about because daily it was changing then on Wednesday I had to work through a pitch for another feature so there was just like a lot of mental work but I felt very unstressed because I know what I can and cannot do and I'm like oh this is all doable and y'all want it y'all gonna get it what the quality gonna be I don't know y'all didn't care about it when you <laughs> asked for it shit so when you, say, it. when you say you know what your power is do you mean in terms of the time you have or do you mean your ability as a writer and where your kind of sweet spot is or is it about your writing or is it about the the, the time yeah it's about like what I know I'm capable of doing right and I'm like okay I know I can finish this will it be to the quality that I want it does not matter because they want it and they're gonna get it uh, they didn't like, and I feel like in the way this business works, there's a lot of like, not looking at reality. And I'm like, okay, if I tell you exactly where I am in life and you're like, that's fine. I still want it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you're going to get it. What is that going to be? I don't know. You didn't care about that. You cared about getting it. So that's what you're going to get. You're going to get it. <laughs> and then we'll talk about what the quality that's of that like is. like the promise we'll and the it. threat. You're going to get it. <laughs> You it's like I, I I can't do what I can't do and I can't do what I can't do so you're gonna get what I can do and then the rest we're not gonna worry about that's awesome. <laughs> I mean that's such an important piece of it right like not overtaxing your nervous system when you can't do what everyone else wants you to do yeah I just learned that I just finished filming my first feature which was super dope we Congratulations. like two weeks ago but like there was like a moment where I remember I was sitting in hair and makeup and the hair and makeup lady was so stressed out because they were like we need him and I was like are you done can they shoot without me being done then why are we stressing like we just can't we can do what we can do and until you're done nothing can go on so like finish because <laughs> like they just gonna wait because like what what you gonna do not finish then I'm gonna go over there and then they're gonna send me back so we got to live in reality. <laughs> and the reality is they're going to wait because they have to. So I need your is. voice in my head, like <laughs> all the time. How do I do that? How do I get that in my head? So like my week was also like very high because I was high because I needed to be <laughs> on me. Just quickly, Dwayne, do you feel like your experience as a stand-up has given you that level of relaxation when facing stress? Because in my opinion, there's nothing more terrifying than putting yourself out there on a stage as a stand-up. And I think personally, I'd love to learn some of those coping skills that you have. So I'm just kind of curious how you develop them. 
Oh no, baby, they came from being black and gay and living in America. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot relate to that. So not for you. Like, oh no, like no. just because existence is worse than any job. So I'm like, I can't stress about this job. I gotta worry about am I gonna die when I go outside? Anybody got time? Yeah. The existential <laughs> the existentialism of your life is Yeah. Yeah, that, like, that makes stand, sense. Like stand up is I feel like I've learned a lot from stand up, but stand up was one of the mediums in which I entered and I saw my f- mindset was justified to be like, oh right this fits me as a person because I'm doing what I want and I have the most power and I get to dictate everything. That's great. I mean, not the part about worrying about living <laughs> or not. That's not great. Uh, I meant being able to take power from that in a way. Thank you mm-hmm. for clarifying. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have I have a shame face if anyone can me right now. I'm just kidding. I'm just fucking with y'all. <laughs> so having it along, Meg or Shantira, how was your week? Oh, Shantira, you go first. Um, my week was uh pretty good. Uh, there was an announcement about uh, a show that I've been working on for a while with Amber Ruffin and Seth Meyers and Mike Shoemaker. It's called Aunties. Um, we're in development. Um, and it's uh something called a put pilot. Um, look at that. I had to look it up when they said it. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Congratulations. What that mean? Does it mean like they have to make a pilot? Yeah, they have to make a pilot. Yeah, which is very cool. Yeah, we love that. We love it. We love it so much. Uh, So that announcement was made and it's like one of these things where like, mm, I'm pretty dead inside. I mean, like I'm a happy person, but like I don't say like nothing's real until like it's done. So like, I've like, we've been talking about this and then we like had phone calls about this show and I was like, okay, well like when we make it, then I'll tell everybody. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Not gonna say shit. So like now everybody knows and then like, that's that's nice. But like, I think that like, I have been um, really trying to like, kind of uh, uh, stay in the middle. Like I try not to be too excited, but then I also try not to let the, like the reality of this industry consume me. So I'm like, I'm happy for now. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it's it's allowing like, yourself enough joy, but you're still yeah. looking up at the sky for the big boot that's going to come out yeah. and kick mm-hmm. you in the head, right? Yeah. So like, I, you're I like happy, to, but like with conditions. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, I, I'm really trying to um, uh, be excited and have the joy of the moment and not the joy for a potential moment. And I think that that's what I was like, this is cool. It felt good to get some, I mean, not in like an ego way, but also in an ego way. It was like nice to get some recognition for all this fucking work you do. Totally. Cause like people will be like, I have something in development. And then like, they'll be like, oh my God, overnight success. No bitch, this took forever. This took forever. You found about about it today. I've been working about on it forever. So it was like nice to be like all that work. Because I mean, like, I'm lucky. I mean, I'm lucky that I got that it's getting made that there was an announcement about it. But there's people whose stuff is in development that has not and will never see the light of day, let alone be announced. So like, I'm like, oh my god, somebody said it out loud. Okay, good. That's enough for today. That's great. Congratulations. <laughs> I love like, that. That's where I'm at. Yeah. So the week's been pretty good, and it's Friday, so you know, um, tomorrow's the weekend, which is when you work on stuff that's not your daytime job, but like. It's nice for it to be Saturday. 
Like, oh, my weekend is definitely dedicated to more work. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, on the weekend, instead of my day job, I'll do the stuff that I'm not getting paid for yet. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Meg, before you go, uh, your turn, Shantira reminded me of something about having joy. And I always forget to talk about the good I stuff. I was going to call you out on this. I, I was know like, you were. what the hell? So the show, the show that I ran, uh, was uh released the pilot was released on yes. wednesday congrats, uh, congrats. time with yeah. Brown. and uh shantira and Dwayne were actually on the show um and they were fantastic and hilarious and focused and dedicated and all the wonderful things you want in it was truly a great time it was one of the best it was so fun i've ever had and it was like so fun uh and also like it's hard to explain but it was like very cute <laughs> like, like yeah. truly like the whole thing really hit a part of my like inner child that I'm still very much uh, attached to so it was just like playtime and Tabitha really has just like a spirit that makes me want to uh, cry in a good way yeah <laughs> it was like nice I was like this is fun I like it here because I have been places where I've been like this is not fun I do not want I, do not like this. <laughs> I don't like it I don't like, and, I knew it was going to be like this. I would not have agreed to do this. That's awesome. <laughs> and another fun thing is that the writer of the episode that you guys were on mm -hmm. is a friend of, I know a friend of yours, Shantira. Yeah. And it was this moment of uh, community and synchronicity that was really cool. Like we didn't know, you know, the producers had gone out to you and then but she didn't know and uh, it so was really it, was, cool. it was really a fun moment and afterwards after we finished shooting and she and you guys and tab all took a picture together and for me that just felt like magic like oh yeah wow this is the industry this is how small it is but also how big it is we took right? classes together i know maggie's her name i know maggie um from probably like 10 years now we took classes together in our 20s at second city like that is how I know Maggie. We did a music conservatory together. We did a, a year long program and we've been friends ever since. So like we came from just like taking these music classes in Chicago to like showing up on a, a set and we were like, we did it. And I'm not sure Maggie would want me to call her out like this, but um, she was the writer's assistant on the show and that was her freelance episode. And then we promoted her to staff writer. Yeah, you did. Oh, She's a bad bitch. Let's so go. That's one of the mobility. Let's go. Yeah, that is one of the things I'm most proud of and that the female animated characters do not have eyelashes. Those two things for me are like standout power things for me like uh, these are things I did right uh, Maggie obviously did it but like you know uh they're important to me that's anyway, awesome so that's Wait. me trying to find joy in it, I made a show it's yeah. out people are watching it and yeah, it's, it's really good and yeah. I honestly just, yeah. I have it's to really say good. has been a bit of a struggle to your point like sort of honoring that that is something special that like a show got made right uh, and it's being allowed wild. to have joy about it, yeah. <laughs> and being allowed to be proud of it and to take the compliments, it's hard. Also, it's a yeah. show worth being proud of. Again, I have seen and had to go to some stuff where I was like, I don't want nobody to see this. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but I, I think you're touching on something that a lot of people feel because that's something I've also been working through. It's just like the ability to like feel joy 
Um, a show that I was developing got announced during the filming of my movie and I didn't tell anybody, but somebody was looking through a uh, deadline and was like, what the fuck? You got to sh- like, why didn't you say anything? And I was like, because then y'all can talk about it and I'm gonna feel weird. <laughs> 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 I don't know how to feel yet. So like, uh, and then they like made a big deal of it and kind of forced me to like feel the joy of like, oh no, like you should live in this moment. Cause like, you don't know when it's going to happen again. And exactly. Like, ah, you're right. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. And I think that that is also scary about it, right? Like maybe like I want to do more of this, but will I, right? It, it, the joy around it begs a lot, puts a lot of questions out there. Like, am I going to do this again? Am I, you know, like you don't want to get too used to that flavor. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how, it's yeah. funny how joy can make you feel vulnerable. You don't really think about joy making you feel vulnerable, but it does. Yeah. Because if you get like have too much joy, it kind of like instinctually like ranks that thing in like a way that you're like am I giving this too much power (laughs) so then you're trying to like balance out like how do I stay grounded and even without being like empty (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. totally and and it's even for emerging writers you know when you finish that draft you need to celebrate you finished yes yeah is it good who the hell knows probably not because usually they're not but you (laughs) finished you finished like you have to take the small wins you have to take them when they come finishing is like the key like I feel like that is something that I really lean into it's been like oh no like if you finish something you've done more than so many a people. lot of people. So many, like finishing <laughs> is just like most of the battle because then at least you have a frame of reference to be like okay this is done now I can like think of it in a new way that's not stuck in like the creation kind of like I, I this may not be a good analogy because I'm not a woman never had a baby <laughs> but like once you have a baby it's like the baby's done <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to raise it, but I see your point. I mean, just, just like that first part. Making, like you, you still have to like raise it. Done, yeah. like and then you spend the rest of your life right? raising well, it. Yeah. You yeah. know, one of my one of my mentors um always said uh that uh Michael McCarthy uh was one of my was one of my mentors. He passed, but like he always said, um, and it really stuck with me that um everybody wants to be a writer, but nobody wants to write. Mm-hmm. And um it really stuck with me because I like met him in a writing class and the class started with like 15 people. And then the assignment was, all right, you have to write this many jokes by next week. And then the class got smaller. And then it's, you need to write this many, um, uh, uh, what, what the fuck is it on SNL? The opening monologue. You need to write two opening monologues and the class got smaller. And the mm-hmm. more of the actual writing that had to be done, the less people stuck around to do it. So I think that there is something to just people being like, I finished this and it's bad, baby. People ain't writing. They ain't doing it. They're not sitting down. They're not putting pen to paper. They're not putting hands on keyboards. They're not even thinking about the script. So like really- They're talking about it. They're they're talking about it a lot. Yeah. And they're going to classes, but they're they're not not, actually writing or they're they're staying in outline forever or, you know, because- to actually write it is is the scary part. Yeah. So I always I always remember that. It's like whenever you feel bad or like if you're not writing it, and like obviously like there's a like a, a lot of he said she said about, you know, if you don't write, are you a writer? I mean, I don't if you ain't writing nothing, are you a writer? <laughs> are not you really? It not like really. You, you're a thinker I'd say and no. a talker. You're thinking and a no. talker. So yeah, finishing it is half the battle because that class by the time that eight week class, when we got done, there were seven people. Wow. 
Nobody wanted to do it. Everybody wanted to write for SNL until he asked you to write some shit for SNL. And they were like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like this is what this is? No, thank you. <laughs> 25 weekend update jokes. I thought I would just be hanging out. You have to do they those people are doing work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've talked about that before on the show. The idea that um having to prove it over and over and over again. Right. You don't get just to write something and then everyone, then you're anointed as a writer and then people hire you. Right. You have to keep (laughs) leaning into the craft and, you know, putting yourself out there and doing the work and writing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Meg, how was your week? Well, I just so want to get to our guests that I'm going to just segue my week into a question for them because something happened this week that I was like, oh, and here they are. And I can ask the question. So I had one of those moments where I had a line in the script and pretty much myself and everybody involved said, this needs to be funny right now. This, Mm -hmm. this line, you know, I can't change the whole scene. I can't change the how, the why, the character, but what's the funny line? (laughs) Every time that happens to me, I go, I have nothing. And I think of the dumbest non-funny stuff ever. I know that sounds so crazy, but sometimes I just have to sit there and write really, really bad jokes until, I don't know, something, a piece of this goes with a piece of that. But I am not at my core a comedy writer. So do you guys just have the brains that you can just start throwing? Like if somebody says, here's the situation, here's the character, what do they say? Are you, is, do, your, do your brains just start throwing funny stuff or is it kind of like how most of us write which is it's not funny until it's funny or how does how does that work for you guys I am incredibly funny I was just about to say hilarious off the dome I am so funny all the time I'm very funny um I think that there's like a part of me that like the use the part of me that didn't go to therapy was like I was picked on as a child and I really needed that comedy no I have a trained skill set I'm very funny uh, I did years and years of work. I performed hundreds, thousands, thousands, not 10,000, 20, 30, 50,000 hours. I am a trained professional comedian. People think that being funny is funny. Uh, it is a skill set. It is a job and I'm good at it and I get paid to do it. Uh, when I'm in a room, there's people who are really good at story. There's people who used to be writer's assistants and can tell you what to press to make sure that final draft works. I'm not that bitch. I'm the joke bitch. <laughs> I got hired because I'm a funny bitch. I'm queer, I'm black, and I'm a woman. So that gives me a point of view. And if you want jokes from that point of view, I got you. But we also live in a white supremacist society. So I got your friends and your Seinfeld and your Frasier jokes too. But I'm a joke writer. I'm very good at it. And I went to Second City. I went to Chicago so that I could be funny. I, people told me I was funny. Then I learned what a joke was. And then I learned how to be funny. And if you put me in front of a particular audience, I'll know how to be a particular type of funny for that audience. So like, yeah, I'm a joke bitch. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it because I know that I am not. Yeah, but I also know what I'm not. I think the same thing like what Dwayne was saying. It's like, know your skill set. Like, am I going to be able to tell you everything that's happening to A, B, and C all the time? No, I can figure it out. But I can make A, B, and C funny and go back and do that other stuff later. Right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I do think that there's like my approach to comedy is like twofold. Like one of them, I do feel like there is an innate kind of sensibility of like timing in the universe that one can pick up. And then I think a lot of comedy, especially in like the narrative for like TV space is very mathematical. It's a lot of psychological human studying and knowing what the expectation is of like 
people and then knowing how to use that to create situations that are humorous by subverting expectations. There's like a lot of just like psychologicalness to being funny that I find very interesting. Um, and then I just think my brain, the way it works, it processes things very quickly. So it's just like an endless amount of just like imagination. I'm very connected to my imagination and being trained in improv just made it so that I have access to that a Absolutely. lot easier. Mm-hmm. And so when something happens, there's like Dr. Strange, like 1000 things in my brain. I'm like, it could be this, it could be that, it could be this. And there's just like an endless flow. Also, because I don't have that judgment of being like, is this good or not? I'm like, who's to say? Me, I say all the things that I say are good. <laughs> so I'm just gonna tell you, if you don't think it's bad, that's an opinion. It's not the right one, but it's an opinion. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so I think that that allows me the freedom to have learned what it means to be funny. And now mm-hmm. I just have like an insurmountable amount of access to that kind of pool of funny. Love that. I love love this because you're talking about it as a craft and and something you've honed and studied and made mistakes and written probably a lot of bad jokes to get to the good jokes, to learn it. It is like some people are funny innately, like you're saying, you guys are probably both hilarious to begin with. But now I know why. I think that's the difference. There are people who are funny all the time. Like Larry at the office is funny, but he doesn't know why he's funny. And if you asked him, if you asked him to replicate it, he probably could not. I absolutely can. And I think that is the thing about this industry that can be so frustrating because people will be like, well, I could be funny. You absolutely can. Can you maintain it? And do you know why? You probably don't. <laughs> kind of similar. Like I, I dance, like I love dancing uh, and I've trained in dancing when I was like younger. And I still go to dance classes sometimes just because I love them. And there is like a, a, a difference of like, oh, I'm naturally just was very good at dancing. When I go to a dance class, I'm like, oh, these people like know this in a way that I do not because they've trained in a more significant way. So like I'm doing this choreography, but they have like a physio, phys- physiological deeper knowledge of like why their body looks that way versus me trying to imitate what they're doing. And that kind of helped me parallel comedy for me of being like, oh, yeah, you can be funny, but you don't know how the cake is made. Like there's a recipe that you are noticing, but you haven't spent the time to kind of learn how to craft that thing. Though you know that like you are connected to what that thing is. Yeah, no, that really, that really just really speaks to what I was trying to very inarticulately articulate, (laughs) which is I was never trained in comedy. So I, I, it's kind of a, a roulette wheel for me, right? Like I don't, I don't have all of that depth that you guys have in it. And uh, it's why it's so stressful <laughs> because I have no ground under my feet. So um, I, I, I really, it's really, really insightful. Um, and I'm so glad our audience uh, heard that. And I heard it myself. I'm so glad I heard it. Like, um, I find this topic super yeah. interesting because when we were in Chicago, I was doing stand-up and improv. And there was always this like stand-up versus improv. And I was like, I don't understand. If y'all just do both, you'll be better at it. And everything. All of it. <laughs> yes. Does it make sense? And that really has like been justified and just kind of my path of being like, oh, I'm seeing how all these mediums kind of feed into each other, but doing them individually creates a different uh, skill set within the skill set and be like, oh, I see how this translates differently. And I'm learning how comedy is different depending on like how and when you're doing it. And I think that just added to my toolbox 
And so I'm very much in the wheelhouse of being like, do as much comedy as you want in every form, because it's just going to make you better at it no matter what. Yeah. Do you ever write drama? Would you be interested in that? I, okay. I, I would say this. Uh, I don't want to write a drama script because they long. But like, it's so I, long. I hear you. It's so I'm like long. an hour. Like, this is so I'm long. like a half hour takes forever. Uh, I, I will say this. Okay, so I teach like I don't teach it much, but like I, when I was teaching a lot more, I teach dramatic improv. And so many people separate comedy from theater. And it's comedic theater, right? So what you're looking for isn't necessarily a joke of like a, a setup and a payoff always. A lot of times what you're looking for is the relatability. So like, if you're like, if you got a bad mom and I go on stage and I'd be like, yo, my mom's garbage. You might laugh, not because that is a joke, but because of the reality of it, you relate to it. And it's funny to see yourself in someone else. So do I want to write drama? No, but comedy is inherently dramatic. So if I wanted to, I could, because it is theater. Mm -hmm. So if I write my comedy with no jokes. <laughs> but even no, drama has jokes, no, right? I mean, even drama has jokes, yeah, yes. Yeah, but yeah. like, if I write my comedy um, and then I put it on a stage and I and you feel it and then I add jokes to it, you know what I mean? So I think that so many people, the same thing with separating improv and stand-up, so many people separate drama and comedy and mm -hmm. so much comedy is inherently dramatic. And I also think it's a thing to think about too. It's like so many comedic actors are fantastic dramatic actors mm. and not a lot of dramatic actors are fantastic comedic actors. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> right, right. And I agree. I think that like most of the comedy that I write in particular stems from drama. Cause I think mm -hmm. mathematically Similarly, if you have dramatic beats, most of the drama is to create stakes. So you're creating these stakes and the comedy comes from sub sub subverting the expectation that you created by creating these dramatic stakes. So in my head, there's like a road and, you're ha and you have this setup, which could be dramatic beats. If you continue on that dramatic path, that's a dramatic scene. If you know the expectation of like, oh, this family's arguing, what humans do in this situation is A, B, and C. If you're like, okay, I know that this is what's expected of this situation. If I do A, B, F, which is what the expectation is not, that is going to be comedic because you have manipulated emotions and set up something so that people think this is going to be a different thing. And comedy comes from being like, I'm not doing that. And that's where most of my comedy comes from. So the drama is already in there. It's just a negation of that expectation of that drama beat. So I feel like they're hand in hand. Yeah. And so it would be easy to kind of do both. And then coming from the lives that I've led as a person, most of the drama in my life has been cut by comedy for existence purposes. And so in order for me to say something in my comedy, I'm probably talking about dramatic things because that is the topics that I want to talk about but I want people to receive it in a way that doesn't feel heavy as drama usually is. So I'm using comedy as a filter to filter drama because existing is inherently dramatic because there's constantly conflict. Yeah. 
on our show, we talk about um, lava, meaning as an artist, and in, in this case, as writers, our artistry is writing, uh, we need to get down into what makes us feel vulnerable and human mm -hmm. uh, and all of the rough, bumpy, gritty stuff that can feel like fire sometimes when you get really down into it. Um, and I, what I'm hearing you say is that you're not using comedy to get away from that. You're using comedy to get to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I always say that you're putting the pill in the cheese when you're trying to give it to a dog. That's one of the things I really love about social and political satire. It's, I used to work in news and anybody who's watching Fox News is not going to pay attention to me. Will they come to the second city? Absolutely. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing. You think you're getting something and I'm going to give you something else. And that is dramatic and comedic. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's the way I, I always try to do it because I don't have a lot of time. I want to make you laugh, but like, and this isn't for everyone. And I think that's the thing too. Everyone doesn't like to do it that way. Some people just want to be comedians and some people just want to give you your shit. But I, I mean, like I'm a black woman, so I'm always doing double duty. I like you to laugh, but I also want you to know that like, there's something you came, when you came here, I want you to know something you didn't. Yeah, it's like something. a magic trick. It's yeah, very much like, like <laughs> Yeah, like like in my head, and it doesn't have like the most positive connotation, but I'm like, it's manipulation. I'm man, I'm manipulating people. To, I'm using comedy as a way to like adjust emotions so that I can get you to think about a certain topic in the way that I want you to because of the way in which I said it. So if I'm like, don't do this thing that I know that is going to elicit a reaction in you because you're human and you feel stuff. If I say, do this, uh, do this other thing, and by saying that, I'm showing you why you should not do this thing. The, the messaging is not going to elicit a defensive reaction mm. because I'm doing it in a way which I'm not triggering certain emotional things that I know humans do. And so I feel like comedy is very much just like the sneaky way to be like, okay, let me tiptoe around all your feelings, make you laugh, and then punch you in the face. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> And then they always leave and go, I have an idea. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you had that idea. I <laughs> gave you that idea. I, I planted that in your head. I, I, I am big baby. brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to make sure we get to the question that we always get asked, which is how did you break into the business and or, you know, what advice do you have for emerging comedy writers? Um, Amber Ruffin. <laughs> um, honestly, I, it's, I'm realizing and like now in what the importance of networking and what that actually means. I am not, I am an introverted person who sometimes come off as standoffish. I'm not the type to just like go talk to people I don't know. I have a speech impediment. I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, and so actually forming relationships that was genuine uh, and having a skill set that could back up these relationships so that people are willing to be like, oh no, this person is great. Uh, work with them. Uh, my very first job was the break with Michelle Wolf. And I remember at the time when I submitted my packet, my lit agent quit the same day and I didn't know. So my packet never got to Michelle Wolf. And then Amber Ruffin, she texted me and she was like, hey, Michelle said she never got your packet. And I was like, what are you talking about? I turned it in. And I talked to my reps and they were like, we don't know what's happening. Uh, and then Amber was like, just send it to me and I'll send it to her directly. And from that, I got hired because I got interviewed. 
but because I had a person that was there to like vouch for me in a way that was like significant. And then I had the, the tools to back that up. That got me my very first job. And then we was writing for the White House Correspondents Dinner that year. So it's kind of like stacked up. Um, so that's how I kind of broke in by going into late night. But it wouldn't have happened unless I had Amber. And she is now a, a theme, as you can see throughout my career. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of same. Uh, the first gig I ever got was um, uh, 50 Central, a show on BET, a sketch show. Um, I wrote a packet and I got a job and then I didn't get a job for a really long time. Uh, but in between that, um, Amber Ruffin was um, hosting the WGA Awards and hosting the Webby Awards. And she brought me and Dwayne on so that I could have credits, good ones. Because writing for the WGA Awards is a good credit if you're trying to be a writer. Um, and she always um, helped us. I think one of the things, too, that uh, you talk about, like, advice for other writers is that um, it's fine. It's absolutely fine to look up to lots of people, but those people have friends. And when they're giving the other people jobs, it's usually their friends. Sorry. That's the way that it works. And not that they're bad people, but it's like you spend 10 years on an improv team with somebody. Are you going to give a job to the person who emailed you about picking your brain? Are you going to give it to the bitch who was on your Herald team? It's going to be the bitch on your Herald team, right? So a lot of it is not the people who are directly above you. A lot of it is the people who are next to you, side by side, the people who come up with you, right? Seth Myers and Amber Ruffin did Boom Chicago together, Right? They're both incredibly talented, but you bring your friends along with you for the ride because you trust them and you know their skill set, right? This industry, obviously there's like nepotism and all that kind of shit, but a lot of nepotism comes from, I know you already, you're not going to fuck up or I can trust you already. That is already happening. So like Amber knew us, her little black babies, we got the job she had. Me and Dwayne had the job Tina Fey had. We had the job Eva Ruffin had. We had the job Eddie Poehler had. We had the job Stephen Colbert had. Having that job gives you the credibility that, oh, if I had it and you got it, I can trust you. And Amber brought us with her as she went along and not gave it to us. We earned it because we had the skill set. So her always being like, if I got it, you got it. It's been life-changing. But also, when she asked us, when we were ready to write for her, we were so good, we got an Emmy nomination. Do you know what I'm saying? So it, it's all, like, it all works together. So Amber Ruffin has yeah. been, like, so, so important to our careers because everyone ignored us. Everybody ignored us but her. I've been the same bitch. I've had the same skill set this whole entire time. Amber Ruffin is the first black woman to ever write on a network late night show. Say network specifically, not cable. Wanda Sykes did the fucking Chris Rock show. Don't email me or come for me on Twitter. But she was the first black woman on a network show. Leno ain't never hired no black woman. Letterman ain't never hired no black woman. Carson ain't never hired no black woman. All your favorites ain't never hired a black woman. So the person who could help me Got hired in 2014. That's why we ain't around. <laughs> you need people to help you. 
Right. You need mentors. And like, I got in this, my mentor believed in us and brought us along. Also, I'm very good. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I yeah. think, and you're good. Yeah, and I'm good. very good. Yeah. But like, yeah, because yeah. like, she, like, I think that's also a big thing is that like, as we were, she saw us working hard, like hard, like next to her and being like, oh no, we're not. And we never asked her for things. We were like, girl, we got, we, we got to do what we got to do. And so, and that's something that I see as well as I'm moving up and being like, mm-hmm. who's the people that would do it without me? Those are the people that I'm going to help because I see that like, oh, I see you're doing the thing. And if I have any space to help, I'm going to help. If, and there are many people, I love giving advice because I think this business is trash. And I'm, all, I'm always like, how can I help you? And the biggest issue that I see is people simply not doing the thing. Like a person will talk, come up to me and be like, hey, um, I want advice on how to be in a writer's room. And I would ask like, what do you know so far? And they would be like, nothing. I'm like, so why are you talking to me? Like, that makes no sense if you are not exhausting all that you can already. You haven't even Googled how to get into a writer's room yet you're asking me? That makes me think you're selfish because you are not caring about my time. And that's something that I think me and Shantira are very good at. It's being like, we are going to work. We know this industry is booty trash. So in order <laughs> to succeed in any way, you the chips are already stacked against you. So you have to have a certain mindset yeah. to propel yourself. And I think Amber saw that in both of us of being like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we gonna do it. And then she was like, okay, I'm gonna help you. So like, that's my biggest thing. It's just been like, do the thing. Cause if you don't, why would anybody want to bring you with them? Be <laughs> so ready. I- I mean, like, one of the things that happened to me is this guy asked me to connect him to my reps. And, like, I had done a couple stand-up shows with him because I did that sometimes when I was in New York. And I was like, you're Black, you're queer, great. I usually don't do this. Send me your sample. It's been two years. I ain't never heard from that man since. Don't ask nobody for nothing if you ain't got nothing to show. What you want me to do? Send them what? Your name? This is a nice boy. Get him a TV job. The fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Be ready so you don't have to get ready. So that you have an opportunity if you run into me. And also, don't just be like emailing me your scripts. Please don't do that. But what I'm saying is like, that boy missed his opportunity. Right? I was ready. I was ready to go to bat for him. Nothing. Crickets. I think now, I, said, I want to help him. <laughs> be ready so you don't have to get ready is mm-hmm. the key to everything mm-hmm. we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Right, finish. And then if an opportunity does come along, like we both had with Amber, she was like, send me your stuff. And you had it. You were ready to go. You've mm-hmm. done the work. Yeah. And so I think that's it. That's why we talk about samples and you know doing the work and building relationships. So when that call does come, you're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause the stakes were too high for Amber for you all not to be amazing. Right. Yeah. It's like, she would, it's not like she brought you on cause you were friends with her. Like, yes, no. you were, but it's because you were amazing. And she knew she might get an Emmy nomination if she brought you two on the show. So I just want our audience to hear. It's not about being friends with people to get jobs. It's about making very, very smart friends in this business so that you can rise with them. Like you said, and be fucking ready because the only person who has more pressure than you two is Amber on her show. It's her name yeah. on the show. It's her yeah. name. It's so her name. absolutely. Also, yeah. full disclosure, like Dwayne was doing Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I was doing Save by the Bell. I 
I was working. We were working already. And when she asked us, the hope was that she would get maybe one of us. She said, yeah. I hope I can. It wasn't like she was like, I'm giving you your bitches. I was working. I had a job. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then like, full disclosure, like, yeah, and I like work, I started in late night and then going to the narrative space. It's significantly easier being in a writer's room of like a narrative show you barely do anything you sit there and be like what did this happen what did that happen yeah. late night is significantly more work so when she asked me like oh i'm i'm my my show is coming out can you come write for me i i was like girl you know i don't like late night like that <laughs> i'm like it's so much more work i'm just like hi it's so much more work and then she was I like but because we have the relationship that we have, I I was like, I got you, and we gonna get nominated for an Emmy. Emmy. from the beginning. beginning. Me and Tara were, were both like, we gonna get nominated for an Emmy because why else would we do it? <laughs> I I do not do late night anymore. I do not particularly want to. If my my agent, I was like, don't send me no Colbert packet, don't send me no Corden packet, don't send me no Sam B packet. I do not want to do it. That was the rule. That is the rule. And then Literally Amber same. asked me to do it. And I told my agents, don't get no ideas. I am doing this for Amber. And that will be the last time it will be done. Yeah. I would say like right before Amber, I was, when I first moved to LA, I got an offer to write on another late night show. And I said, no, because I was like, I don't want to. Like, I just don't want to. I don't want to do it. I'm already doing this thing over here. Uh, narrative, just easier. Make more money. <laughs> I'm over here. And then when Amber came up, I was like, that's my bitch. Here I come. Let's go. <laughs> Roll up your shirt sleeves. Let's I'm like, it. all right, let me get back into these monologue jokes. <laughs> like every day. Let's yeah, go. Tell, for, for those of us who haven't been in that room, uh, when you say it's significantly harder, I mean, I understand narrative, you know, maybe this could, I tell, I, I get that easy part. Um, what is it like being in the room? One oh, of it's the just like, it's, it's a daily, You it's a constant, um, you're trying to always make jokes off of what's happening. So there's like a constant shift and there's just like daily hand to paper, like work. You have to literally write. Whereas if you don't get a script in a narrative space, you're not writing. Like you do physically do not write. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't think people actually realize that that's what a writer's room is. And I'm always trying to tell people, no girl, this is easy. They've, they've been lying to you. Uh, and that's why if you have that writing sample, that's all you need. Cause you ain't gonna write no more. Especially if you're a staff writer, they barely even care if you talk. Like, let's be real. <laughs> like this business is ridiculous. Uh, and in late night, it's just a lot of physical work. We had to write sketches and physical jokes multiple times a week and turn them in like it was like college like I was like oh I haven't written this much in a long time also it's just okay you get your one script in a narrative and if it ain't if it ain't drama baby it's 30 pages and I'm you get a week to, off to do it <laughs> you get a week off to do it Amber Ruffin I have three sketches due each sketch is four to five pages I was turning in 20 pages a week on a Sunday and then I would get another assignment and have to turn in 10 more pages. I was writing a pilot a week and your shit might not even get picked up. Yes. And then you had to produce the things that got in. So like you are a writer producer, you like write it. And then if it got in, you're like, oh, now I have to produce this sketch. And so it was just like it. a lot of work. Yeah. So, but she was worth it. If you want a job, he, like like that was the best version of that of late night in my opinion. Life, yeah, it was fantastic. I've loved listening to you guys talk and how grounded you both are in what your 
skill sets are, what your boundaries are, right? Um, it's it's inspiring, right? Thanks. It's inspiring. <laughs> so thank well, we you. We have each other. It's one of the things too is having someone. Like we're on this podcast together, but D is like my person, like we came up together, we were touring together, we did our first uh, run of uh, sketch shows and what was that fucking Aurora, Illinois in 2015, we was gone driving there from Chicago to do sketch. And then we both got our first TV jobs together. And then we both got our first Emmy nominations together. And yeah. it's one of those things where like, there's so many people in this industry whose like dreams or goals or things are not being accomplished. And it's really hard to talk to people who want the thing that you have about not feeling great about having the thing that they want. So having someone where I could be like, you know, this dream job everybody wants, this shit wild. And being able to have someone to talk to and be validated in that because you can't, I can't go to a class and be like, you know, this job that everybody wants is really depressing. You can't fucking do that. <laughs> you kind of do do that though on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> this shit's depressing. Yeah, I mean, you know? it, it, it has been very validating to have like a sister going through like the same stuff as you. Cause like even, also it just feels good. It makes you not feel crazy to know where we started. And then like within a month and a half of each other, we both have network shows uh, announced where we're starring in them. And we're like, oh look, we're doing this thing. We're doing the same thing. Like it just feels- um, Good to have someone with you. Yeah, you be it like, feels very good. <laughs> and then like, don't feel bad about it. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, cool. Dwayne, what's your show? Oh, it's called uh, Chapman Screwed. It's on, uh, it's a ABC show. Okay. What brings you the most joy when it comes to writing? Uh, what brings me the most joy is knowing that I don't need it to be happy. This is the and thing that I do. It's not who I am. I like doing it. But if for some reason I never got another job, I have a completely and absolutely fulfilling life. I like this job, but this job is not who I am. And I'm good at it, but I don't need to do it to be happy. Amazing. And what pisses you off about writing? That people think that you have to do it every day to be good at it. I'm good at it. I'm good at it. You don't have to do it every day. And if you want to do it every day, that's perfectly, absolutely fine. Also, having a point of view is way more important than making jokes. Nice. And if you could be remembered for one scene, one sketch, one joke that you've written, which one would it be and why? I want to be remembered as a part of the Amber Ruffin show. The little show that could, a team of Black people saying Black jokes in a world where I was told that my jokes were too smart or that nobody would understand them. And that I want to, re I want everybody to remember that I told you so, because we did. All right, Dwayne, your turn. What brings okay. you, what brings you joy about writing? Um, uh, I was a kid that had a speech impediment for a very long time. I've had speech therapy for like 25 years. Uh, and so to be able to see something inside of my head come to life uh, it feels very powerful to me because I have had such a life where so many things felt so internal and cerebral. So it feels good to be able to be able to now have a platform to make the things in my head come to life. What pisses you off about writing? Uh, all the systems around it. I think it's all trash, all bullshit. I think it's fake. Uh, my very like every job I've had has really pulled a curtain to show me that most of these jobs have an air of impossibility around them that is just not real. Uh, and it prevents people like me and who come from the place that I come from, from reaching them. 
and it's and it's all fake. It's all bullshit. I've met some of the truly most untalented people ever. <laughs> Just like not nice, not good. And I'm like, oh, they can do this. Like it's all a sham. It's created to make it seem like this is impossible. And that's why people are like, I can't write a pilot. I'm like, girl, yes, the fuck you can. <laughs> it's like, if you watch TV, it's all the same. A lot of it is just like patterns. Um, so just like the, there's just like an air about it that is just like, this is for special people. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's for people who just like can do it. <laughs> or who do do it, right? Yeah, like you I'm were like, saying, do it. Yeah, do it. If you could be remembered for one thing you've written or done, what would it be? Uh, I wrote a sketch called The Blackening that uh, was filmed with 3P, my improv team that Shantir was on. Shantir was in it. Uh, it was a sketch that we filmed for Comedy Central and it started as a sketch at Second City on stage. And then it kind of went through a couple of forms and then we filmed it and then it went viral. And that's the movie that just got done being filmed. It got turned into a film. So it kind of, was a piece of art that I've got to see from the creation to kind of now the biggest platform that it can has, which is like a movie. Uh, and so that, I think that piece of art kind of encapsulates my journey, which is like, I wrote that on my own because I wanted to, now it's a movie. And it's all about you doing what you want to do and showing that like the power mostly comes from your actions and what you choose to put your time into. And I think that is the perfect piece of art that encapsulate my mindset and what that mindset can bring you not waiting to be chosen or picked or yes and you know it's you just did it you made a thing and then yeah, it's i become... just put something out into the world and then from that a lot of things came from it and it's crazy because like the producers of that sketch are a producer that's on my show at abc like it has just really create like I feel like that is kind of the stone that my career has like jumped from in the ways that I wanted to by solidifying me as like somebody who can write a coherent piece of art and then have the connection that I've made from that piece of art continuously give me opportunities it's kind of been just like the little sketch that could that's awesome so Love smart it. too just as a calling card right it just the truest thing that you can make using that as your calling card yeah, and it, it really speaks to my comedic sensibility where it was a sketch about seven black friends who went to a cabin and was about the, the horror movie trope. If the, like, the black person dies first and it was a conversation of if we're all black, who dies first? And it was them dissecting blackness through the gaze of whiteness. And it wasn't them just being like, who's the blackest? But they were fighting by trying to prove that they were the whitest so that they don't die. So it was breaking down the idea that blackness is monolithic without making blackness a topic, but by making whiteness a topic and subverting that expectation. And I think that really speaks to like how I write and what I want to write. And for that to be what it has been, I'm like, mm, chef's kiss. That's like Dwayne as an artist is that sketch. That's awesome. I think I've seen it. Yeah, like you when you started, I was like, I, "This feels familiar." I think I feel this. <laughs> That's great. I also just want to acknowledge quickly before you go, it's such an undeniable idea, right? Like we talk about sometimes the idea of high concept, whatever, can be annoying, but the idea of an undeniable point of view and position and idea, like of course that's being made into a feature. Like it's just to me, whoever you are, when you hear that idea, you're just like, "Oh, of course!" Like that's such a smart, smart take. 
Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I have loved listening to you and talking with you. Um, and I feel like I should probably take a comedy class somehow and dig deeper into that because I feel like I'm funny, but I don't know it as a craft like you two were talking about. I feel like yeah, there's I mean, a I, lesson in that. Yeah, I think it, it could be helpful. Um, yeah, comedy really psychologically was very helpful. Combining like what I know about comedy and kind of putting it onto life. It's just like, oh, okay, this, it made life make more sense. I mean, me. I have the trauma part down <laughs> and I can write it funny, but I don't think I have... I, I think I would need to improve my skill set around it to like elevate it so mm -hmm. that it is more what you're talking about. Cause I like to write half hour, but they're more dramedy. And I would like to find that space where it could be funnier. Yeah. I feel to like hide most, it, to put the pill in the cheese kind of thing. Yeah, bit. I think most of my work feels very high concept in nature. And then when you read it, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing. You just don't want to say the thing in a way that it has already been said. Like my show that's in development. Uh, at Hulu is um, like a musical comedy, but it's about um, a, a thug who does musical theater. But it's just speaking about like my experience as a black gay man, but putting it onto gangs and musical theater. Cause I'm like, I don't wanna just make a story about a black man being like, I'm black and gay. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> okay. That's awesome. So there's always like some way to be like, how can I do this in a way that's entertaining? Because mm -hmm. we're in the entertainment industry. <laughs> yeah, super smart though. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, you know, young writers, they hand me their coming of age story about the girl and her grandma on the, and you're like, oh, you're such a good writer. Can't you do, let's get it into something that more people will hear you. More people are going to hear what you're talking about because it's so narrow. And like you said, almost not entertaining. Um, I love that. I love that, that you're intuitively doing that. I see it as like chicken sandwiches like I feel like there's like a lot of restaurants with like chicken sandwiches but the restaurants that come like Popeye's they came out with a chicken sandwich as if they did not fucking make chicken their whole lives but everybody was like this is a chicken sandwich because the way in which they did it was like look we're doing a special chicken sandwich if they were just just like here's a regular chicken sandwich nobody would care you just have to find out like what in your version is going to make this more interesting than the version next to you I feel like that's the best explanation of voice I've ever heard. <laughs> How is your chicken sandwich? Different than different. everybody else's. Different. What's your point of view? Is it, do you put sauce on it or what are you putting on your chicken I, sandwich? Is it like a texture difference? Like what are the condiments? Like what are you bringing? <laughs> Don't bring me just a McChicken. I know a McChicken, leave me alone. Or also, you know, we talk a lot about um, concepts, right? Like log lines. Your chicken sandwich is different than my chicken sandwich. Exactly. You know, that same idea. We would write two totally different things. Mm -hmm. anyway. And then being in love with your version of that chicken sandwich. Yes. Well, I'm going to go write a horror chicken sandwich right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Yes. I have a couple more hours before it gets dark. So I'm nice. excited. You better hurry up because it's time to go down at noon. I know. <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. It was what an, an amazing time. I love y'all. Gotta go. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye. Bye. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you haven't yet, join our Facebook group um, and please drop us a review on the Apple Podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Keep writing and you are not alone. 
Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it, and not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.